Hey. Uh, welcome to this week's episode of the 13th Floor Podcast. I am Cece. I'm Alex. I'm James. And James, what are we talking about this week? We're talking about interesting inventions. Yes, and this topic was submitted to us anonymously, so mm-hmm. you know who you are. And we thank you wholeheartedly for sending this topic into the vase. How have mm-hmm. you guys been? Been good. It's it's very timely that uh, it's about inventions because I'm I'm VP of the Inventors Network Kentucky, so I regularly we we help inventors. So it's just kind of neat that we're talking about inventions. So you're going to talk about your favorite inventions of all time, right, James? My favorite accidental inventions. His yeah. favorite is the chair. The chair, yeah. James <laughs> loves the chair. Oh except, man! Except, do you remember when James used to record lying down yeah. on his side? I need, I need to get do that again. I need to get me a nice little Roman. Uh, oh shoot! What are they called again? Like the Roman couches? Oh a yeah, lounger. I think I, the podcast just hasn't been as good since you started sitting up. Well, that's what I I'm know. wondering. Has there been a <laughs> decrease in James' quality? No, there's been. Lectus, that's right. Yeah, I need to get me a lectus and some grapes. A lectus. Mm. Uh, Party like it's uh, 19-9. I mean, (laughs) dang it. (laughs) Like it's the year nine. Dang. Oh, man. That was a good try. Good try. Alex, how you been? Me? I've been good. I've been good. Uh, You know, just reading up on this, it was kind of fun to see some of these these things, these interesting things and how people... Go, oops, that was cool. (laughs) (laughs) Let me make millions. Yep. (laughs) You know what's funny, uh, totally unrelated, but last time we recorded, I think, I was brought up that I had a little bit of a centipede issue. Oh, yeah. And I mentioned that, like, you know, these problems take care of themselves because I live in, like, a little ecosystem where I don't kill stuff. Like, right after we recorded, I go downstairs, <laughs> and the centipede is being eaten by a cellular spider. <laughs> like, immediately after we were done recording. Oh, my gosh, James. <laughs> you, you you know, it took care of itself. Yeah. There you go, James. That cellar spider got a good meal, and it's mm-hmm. all because if you had, you know, not let that terrible beast live in your house <laughs> underneath your quote-unquote your filing cabinet, then Alex is looking up cellar spider. How big was the cellar spider? Uh, it wasn't even that big a one. It was like 1% the size of the centipede. I don't know how it took it out. So are, are, are these what a lot of people call grand daddy long legs? They're, they're what Australians call daddy long legs. Uh, they're not a pillions like what we have, what we call harvestmen or daddy long legs in America. So it is a spider. It's not a, an apillion. James... I love you, but I would be afraid to have that thing in my house too. Yeah. I just, I think it's just the size of the legs. It's not natural. It looks like a little marionette. <laughs> yeah, they're very odd looking. What weirds me out the most though is their abdomen. Their abdomen doesn't look like a spider abdomen. It looks, it just looks like some piece of felt or something. Like it doesn't look normal. I just had a huge myth busted live what, on here. Just oh now. yeah, what was the myth? I always thought. They were the you most know, venomous always, spider. Yeah. That again, you're thinking of apillions though. But yeah. Apillions are not spiders. They don't even have fangs. <laughs> so they're not venomous at all. And then of course, cellar spiders have venom, but it's like minor. Yeah. The myth is that Grand long legs are the most poisonous. Or like one of the most poisonous spiders, but their mouths are so small that they can't, can't actually. Right. And again, it's wrong on every point. They're not a yeah. spider. They're not venomous. I mean 
Yeah, they're like it's all wrong. <laughs> James, thank you for setting the record straight here. So hopefully nobody moves forward with any misconceptions. Um now you know which ones to evacuate from your home. <laughs> and by evacuate, Alex means catch it in a little container that's and why put I it outside. That's why I didn't say stomp. <laughs> Alex Alex actually caught a spider that I was terrified of and put it outside. I thought it was a poisonous spider the other day. And he just picked it up with a little piece of Tissue paper and put it outside. He was like, I'm a house spider. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. You know, I actually had a little baby jumping spider. Uh, that's what I woke up to this morning. It was a little baby jumping uh, spider. Where? It was bad. And he put, then he got his little pillow out next to it. Yeah, I mean, really. One, you, you, like, everything hey, you guys buddy. warned me about. It said that like, one day I would wake up next to one. Yeah, that's exactly what happened today. All right. Well, there you go. We we predicted the future, James. Yep. Was um, Honestly, it wasn't that hard to predict. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it's time for some hearty hellos, though. Are you guys ready to say hello to everyone around the globe? Sounds good. Because we've got some countries on the list today that are just like, we never get listeners here. Mm. And first and foremost, Russia. Ah, cool. So, yes, hello to our listeners in Russia. South Africa is also on the list. Cool. Yes. And then so far this month... The top listening state here in the U.S. has been Illinois. So, hello to Illinois. Yeah. Hey. What's up? My family hails from your area, Chicago. Oh, that's right. Yep. Mm-mm. Chicago. Those sad, sad Bears fans. Oh, please. What's it like get to get trounced by the Packers? Um, the Packers The Packers are just classless. I don't like them. As I stomp you into oblivion. Listen, at least we know how to have fun. All right. (laughs) We don't play for the points. We play to have fun. Yeah, we play to have fun. (laughs) So. Uh, Just merely imagine like actual pro players going out for ice cream afterwards. You know, doesn't matter whether we would or lost. As long as I got my juice box. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Wow. You know what? I think it's time for an icebreaker. James, do you have any ideas for an icebreaker this episode? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, you know what? What 21st century invention did you, I mean, when you were a little kid, you you lived without it, but now you cannot live without it. Hmm. Oh my goodness. I feel like you know, I asked this before. I think you have, uh, but it I don't was know in if it different. Was 21st yeah. century, I think. It was just some type of invention that you could have never imagined existing in your childhood. Huh. And now you're amazed that it exists. Yeah. I think, you know, if I had answered this back in the early 2000s, I would have said my chi hair straightener. And I know that's not necessarily something that came out in the uh, 21st century, but. A, stra- a hair straightener. A hair straightener. Hair straightener. Yeah. Straightener. And then, wow. Yeah. I, okay. I used wow. to need I've that never... in high school. You've never oh, seen oh, oh this would have been your answer back in the day. Yes, back in the day. I like, was going to say, I you never anymore. use a hair straightener. What are you talking about? No, they, they burnt all my hair to a crisp, and I said, you know what? This isn't worth it. <laughs> so I put it underneath my kitchen wow. or my bathroom sink, and I never looked at it again. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. That was a weird answer. Well, it's not a my answer. answer. Oh, okay. It'd have to be my cell phone. I know it's a boring answer, though, so. Mm. Yeah. So smartphone. Smartphone, yeah. Specific. Sometimes, though, I wish I could go back to just having a flip phone, but I have to do like work stuff on my phone if I'm on mm. the go now, and so I can't go back to a flip phone, which is very unfortunate. Um, for me, that's tough. I, you know, streaming is a pretty big thing, but if I had to pick something in particular, streaming, 
I would say probably actually music just Mm. because I've been able to discover way more music than I ever would have. That's a really good point. You know, that's true with streaming music. Like, yes, I was pretty happy with all the stuff I had back when it was just like CDs, but I have found so much more music, so many more interesting things I would never have stumbled upon. Yeah. Whereas movies and TV, I feel like I was pretty up to date back in the day. And honestly, I don't feel like it's changed a whole lot. Yeah. Except for we just get more international releases. Yeah, I like the international releases. James, what about you? Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, You know, it's funny. I I don't specifically mean YouTube, even though that's really what I mean. But (laughs) You just don't want to give them the credit. Yeah, like video (laughs) sites. And the reason why, that didn't sound right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the reason why the reason why is there was a time in in the before times where if you wanted to know something, especially how to do something, that's the real kicker. How to do something, you had to like just look, either find somebody who taught it or find a book and go through it. And now it's like, gee, how do I change the oil in my top? Uh, you know, how do I change the oil in my top? <laughs> <laughs> wow. James, you really do need these videos. Yeah. Um, I mean, just anything. Like, if you have a question, it's like, boom, you can find a video how to on, on you know, solving that problem. It's amazing. Mm, yeah. It is amazing. What's the most interesting how to video you've ever watched? Uh, I don't know, but we actually have a YouTube channel called Empowered Inventing where we help inventors. Might link that in the, the comments. <laughs> Leave it in the comments. I think that the videos, and this is probably sad, but the videos that I visit most often when I'm trying to learn how to do something, how to cut various pieces of fruit. Uh, There are so many fruits that I'm just like, how how do I do this? Turns out you use a knife. (laughs) You always use a knife. (laughs) But you know what? Except for kiwis, man. Kiwis, a spoon dull to make short work of it. Oh, I love love kiwis. I do too. I think I'm actually mildly allergic, I think, but I still eat them. They make my well, throat feel funny, but I still eat. <laughs> that's a, a shining, shining review for kiwis from James. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, do eat the fur too. That might be some of it. What, James? Yeah, I do. I eat the fur. Get the heck out of here! No, really? no. You I'm too impatient. I just eat it. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not lying. That's why your throat feels weird. Yeah, it might be. I, I'll be honest, James. I'm a little upset with you right now. And like, I'm not. I'm not even kidding. That just it pains me to think about eating that yeah. soft, fuzzy brown fur yeah. of a kiwi. Yeah. You close your eyes and you pretend it's like a, a kitten. I do kind of oh want to try. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do kind of want to try it now. All right, I'll get you a kiwi. We'll record you. No, just like a little, just a little snippet of it. I'm not going to eat the whole thing. I'm not some heathen. But I am, James. I am someone who likes to try exotic things. I think kiwi skin is exotic. I've got to look this up. Is kiwi skin an acceptable thing to eat? Where's my phone? The answer is you- psychopaths only. Um, <laughs> only only people like To be fair, uh, Charles I, I, I only eat the skin like 1% of the time, but still. Well, you made it sound like you eat it every percent you of did. the time, no, James. You you said you're too impatient. When to, I found out to, that you could eat it, I, I got curious, and now every once in a while, I'll eat it. You'll indulge yourself in oh. the fuzz. Does it say there are more nutrients in the fuzz yeah, than the, the actual? The skin is actually very nutritious. Yeah. 
Well, there you go, James. You should ask all on our Instagram. That can be our question this week. Ask everybody, do you eat the fur off of the kiwis? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and golden kiwis. It's so interesting how they taste different from regular ones. It says, it, it says you one. can have a different allergic reaction to the skin than you can the inside of the kiwi. Interesting. Hmm. There you go, James. That's why your throat feels all fuzzy because your mm. body's saying, don't eat this. <laughs> don't eat it. Still gonna. All right. Well, <laughs> I think that's enough about kiwis and James eating fur. Let's talk about some interesting inventions. Let's do it. Yeah, and Furmouth is going to start us off. James? <laughs> James, oh, how man. about you go first? Sounds good. Um, yeah, so I, I'm covering three. Uh, and, you know, to be clear, these are accidental inventions. So inventions wherein chance or coincidence played an enormous role. So let's start off with everyone's favorite toy, as long as it's a toy that has something to do with going downstairs. The Slinky. So, oh. yeah. So, what happened? It's 43. Richard James is a mechanical engineer on the William Crampton Sons shipyards in Philly. And he's making springs to support and stabilize instruments on ships. So, that's an important thing to consider is most machinery has, you know, a spring as a component in one way or another. And boats are constantly rocking back and forth. And so, that's kind of an issue, right? So, he, that's what he's working on is, is springs that can function within mechanical uh, instruments on a rocky, rocky boat. So he's just doing basic research at that point. But he accidentally knocks one of the springs from a shelf. And he noticed that it actually tumbled down the shelf onto different books on said shelf. Kind of like, uh, well, he didn't have a word for it at the time, but kind of like a slinky. <laughs> so... <laughs> What happened was later on, you know, he starts mulling this over and he's like, you know, and this is a quote. I think if I got the right property of steel in the right tension, I could make it walk. So he just starts playing around with this. Bear in mind, he's supposed to be working on springs for instruments on ships. But now he's now he's just on fire about walking, walking springs. So he keeps doing this over the course of a year. It takes him a year. But he finally does this, and he shows it to his wife, Betty, and uh, they're just like, oh, my God, this is this is a little spring that walks downstairs. <laughs> so <laughs> she, Betty, named it the Slinky because she was literally going through the dictionary looking for, for terms synonymous with sleek and graceful, and that was a term for it, slink. So slink. they named it the Slinky as a direct result. They got a loan for $500 from, I'm assuming, the bank. And they started their own little business. They bootstrapped it. And they the original Slinky was priced at a dollar a piece, wrapped in yellow paper. And it was just this little two and a half inch tall thing. And <laughs> yeah, so it didn't do wow. too great at first because toy stores are like, well, kids aren't just going to see a spring. They're not going to realize what it does. So they started running into trouble with that. But in 45, two years later, after the original, you know, accident he convinced one of the toy stores at uh, gimbal's like flipping this was in philly but it makes me think of uh, elf but he actually got permission at the toy store to showcase how it worked on an inclined pl plane and boom after that it just took off they sold 400 units in 90 minutes and wow. i imagine 400 i mean think about that in 90 minutes they made 400 dollars 
they had a $500 loan. So huzzah, huzzah. Then they took it the next year to the American Toy Fair and just, they were off to the races after that. So just a cool little thing. And it all stemmed from the fact that I think about it. If he hadn't accidentally knocked a spring over, this never would have happened. So just really cool. And you mentioned it happened in 43. Was that 1843 or 1943? 1943. Okay. I didn't realize they haven't been around that long. No. Well, like 80 years, but yeah. (laughs) Um, All right, James. Smart Alec. All right, what's next? So the next one is mauve. Like literally the flipping color mauve. So... Yeah, I know, right? That that's what surprises me. It's an accidental color. That sounds like a movie, the accidental color. Um so here's what happened. So William Henry Parkin was 18 years old and it's 1856 and he's actually doing something just just like the other guy, very noble thing. He's trying to synthesize quinine. Quinine is even now used to treat malaria. So that's what he's doing. So he's mixing these different compounds together in an attempt to synthesize quinine and boom, accidentally makes some sort of weird dye. So he calls it Tyrion purple because it, you know, that's a very famous color of purple. He's a big game of Thrones fan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This was a very, very famous uh, dye from back in the day that was used to literally make like Royal cloaks and stuff. You know, I, I mentioned in our fashion episode on Patreon that Alexander the Great once said, you know, what do I keep apart from you other than this diadem and purple cloak? Well, it was Tyrian purple. It was made from rock snail blood, really. That's where that comes from, But uh, which is why it's so flippin' expensive. Imagine a dye made from snail blood. But anyway, um, <laughs> so he starts trying to sell this, this dye, and it's the first ever aniline dye, which really just means that it's made from a, a phenyl group attached to an amino group. So... Not not wow, particularly duh. important on its own, except for the fact that it led to a bunch of other dyes. But more importantly, he ends up trying to market it with this Tyrian purple name. And people are like, people, people responded the way Alex did. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he ends up renaming it Mauve. And what's nuts about it is that's literally just a color that we think of now as just a color. You know, it's in the crayon box. But it was an accident. It's it was an accidental color. How did they you just, come up with the name Moth? Uh, right, uh, I don't know actually. He saw the German version of Harold and Maude. I mean, and he thought it was Moth. <laughs> I'm I'm assuming it has something to do with Marexide because that was actually part of the the. There was a a word made from a Marexide dye that was called Moth sometimes in like French Marexide. dyeing industries. And I think he kind of resurrected the term based on that. Mm, okay. Yeah. Cool, man. But it's kind of neat to think about because imagine like just a color showing up that people previously didn't really see. I would you know? love to come up with my own color. Yeah. And uh, anyway, all that was just sort of appetizers, though, because the most important discovery, in my opinion, the most important invention Slash scientific discovery ever, except for one. You know, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll save that for another episode because it wasn't accidental. But the most important discovery I think ever made, in, at least in modern times, was an accident. And that is, of course, antibiotics. Like yeah. when you think about what that has done for human beings, I mean, it is, I mean, things that were a death sense that we've talked about in numerous episodes, things that, that you know, a hundred years ago, 
meant you are doomed. You will die. Now it's, you know, you go to the doctor and, and in eight days you're fine. It's amazing. But it was an accident. So what ended up happening was uh, there was this fella. <laughs> Have you noticed that all my uh, <laughs> stories about a person start with that? There was this yep. fella. <laughs> but, there was this fella. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of funny just thinking about, like, discoveries and stuff. Like, I've been on a real fungi kick lately. And I've noticed Whoa. that the more into fungi you are, the less likely people are to think that you are. But, uh, <laughs> but, oh but still, so what had happened was there was this fella named Alexander Fleming. And he was working on understanding Staphylococcus. And Staphylococcus is associated to bacteria, as a lot of people know, I'm sure. But it's associated with strep throat. But in his instance, it affects a lot of places. Like, like Staphylococcus is a very versatile bacteria, and his keen interest was the fact that it causes boils. So he was looking at ways to treat that. So Fleming decided what, what a lot of hardworking scientists do is that he was just going to go on a vacation for a little while. <laughs> so he does. And he comes back, and he accidentally had left uh, – uh, shoot, what was it? I think it was it was some piece of fruit. I think it was lemon, but some people say melon. But the bottom line is he accidentally left something that caused a mold colony. Okay? Mm -hmm. And that could have just been the end of the story, and people would still die from a number of bacterial diseases today, except he, being clever enough to notice, he realized that the Staphylococcus had receded from where the mold was. So he immediately sets out trying to figure out what, what this mold is, and he finds out that it's something called penicillium notatum, a.k.a. penicillin. Penicillin! Yeah. So he starts looking further into it and applying it to other bacterial strains. He even had his uh, assistants, Craddock and Ridley, do the same. And ultimately, they synthesized the compound itself from what he calls mold juice. Uh, he synthesized <laughs> pure penicillin from it. Now, at the time, and again, this is another thing we just take for granted, in, that, in its current form, penicillin was actually very unstable and broke down, excuse me, broke down really, really quickly. <laughs> so it took a lot of further work just to create a stable version of it where it could simply be applied to a person. But after that, you know, it was the beginning of an absolute revolution. I would argue, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I would argue that in terms of discoveries that have affected human beings the most, outside of like fire and stuff that, that's prehistoric, I would argue that the discovery of germ theory, the discovery of soap and just general washing, and the discovery of, of antibiotics, that's the big three. Those are the things that like allow people to you know, live their lives and do incredible things without fear of just dropping dead from, I mean, just a number of, of illnesses and problems. So soap, which we take for granted, antibiotics, which we take for granted, and the, the understanding that most illnesses are caused by pathogens, which you take the form of either bacteria, fungi, multicellular parasites, or viruses, That's those are the big three that just changed everything to me. Those are the three most important discoveries. And one of them, which we just went over, was caused by an accident. Mm, there's, a, there's a lot that's happened by accident. I think that I agree with you. Those, these three things really changed the course of human history. 
But you also got to remember that James is a germaphobe. So yeah, that that might color my view a little. Yeah, you're a little biased. He keeps a little. He keeps a little penicillin by his bed every day. <laughs> Our daughter's currently on amoxicillin yeah. for an ear infection. So yep, there you go. The fun guy doing its work. It's doing what it needs to do. Alex, but, what are you talking about today? Yeah. So as usual, you know. I'm not sure how interesting this is for the 13th floor crowd, but okay. after hearing some All of right. James, I think it might be, you know, still in line with what we're doing, <laughs> you know, more weird and wacky ways. Very but shady. this this week, you know, they'll have to settle for a little more relatable and interesting. So I decided to cover the thing that every child has played with. That's uh, hyperbole. No, no, not everybody <laughs> has stairs. Um, <laughs> but you know what? Everyone does have water. A super soaker. A super uh, soaker. Which apparently was originally called the power drencher. The power which drencher? Which is actually a pretty awesome I was going to say, too. I kind of want that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So apparently it was originally called the power drencher. So these behemoths hit the scene back in the 90s. And uh, <laughs> these things were awesome. I'm, not, I'm sure everybody's probably interacted with them. But they're these big guns. You pump them, you shoot them. They go really, really, really far. Yeah. And there's so many iterations on them that I really want one just to <laughs> see what they are like now. <laughs> um, so I know a lot, everyone can relate to this, but it, especially with what we've all seen is the, I guess, the other side of the coin with these, which is those little plastic guns. That don't shoot very far. Little water that guns. Little trigger. The ones that Gwen has. Yeah, like they burn out of water real quick. Yeah, that's what they had before they had super soakers. So you know, it, it was all close quarters combat, and then you get super soakers, and suddenly you got a giant cypher. Oh, yeah, rifle. if you've ever <laughs> if you've ever been in like a water gun fight where like one kid has a super soaker and everybody else has conventional water guns, I mean it's <laughs> conventional weaponry. It's, it's asymmetrical warfare at that point. <laughs> It really is. And uh, this is all thanks to a NASA engineer by the name of Lonnie Johnson. I like that name, Lonnie. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds like a nice guy, right? And he got the idea from a super soaker uh, by mistake. He was working on something else. And he's kind of playing with it a little bit. And he stumbles upon this. So Lonnie is building a new heat pump uh, that would use water as coolant probably for his NASA job. And the funny thing is, is that Lonnie realized that the heat pump is actually pretty fun to play with. <laughs> Apparently he was like, he took I guess he took it home. It was blasting water all, all across his bathroom, just having a blast. And he's really started thinking like, you know, I could really use the toys as a way to share my love of science with people and have them understand science with this sim like with a toy. And so now he's got something that he wants to work on to relate with people. And uh that's not all though. Um so not only does this super soaker give Lonnie the benefit of having something to talk about at parties with his friends. Yeah. Because <laughs> now he can relate to them. Um <laughs> it turns out that it actually has a really remarkable benefit for kids playing with these things. With super soakers? Yeah. So when this thing went to the Hall of Fame back in 2015, uh, the former curator Patricia Hogan said, quote, 
The Super Soaker had a big impact on neighborhood play. Mm -hmm. The small squirt guns of the past required close-in work to engage the opposition. The long, dredging reach of Johnson's invention requires a quick retreat from a soggy assault or a good chase, meaning kids with Super Soakers do some serious sprinting and, you know, Uh. have some serious exercise. Yeah. Not only that, though, they also get to engage in what Johnson is kind of talking about is science. Kids also spend a lot of time calculating the distance to targets and the physics and velocity of like the arcs of the water to hit other kids, which is requiring them to really use their brains in ways that they really normally wouldn't. Mm. So, you know, and not only that, but they're contemplating strategies and tactics and, you know, kind of trying to anticipate the, the for like their opposition and what they're going to do to beat them in these water fights. So, at some point, I lost my quote that I was reading, and I went off on my own tangent. But <laughs> <laughs> she says something very similar, and it's all good fun. You know, all you're doing is spraying each other with water, but in the process, you're actually developing a lot of interesting skills that you can bring down the line. Interesting. I've never thought about it that way. It's it's kind of I, I liken it a lot to the effects of video games. Video games actually greatly improve hand-eye coordination. Um, yeah, there's a great of- commercial about that with the doctors. Have you seen that commercial? No, Alex? I haven't seen oh, that. Oh, my God. It's so good. It's like doctors, but they, they're they basically using video games to do surgery and stuff. It's very funny. The whole thing's actually for a gaming laptop, but it, <laughs> the whole time it feels like it's for like a, some sort of like online university <laughs> until you get to <laughs> the very funny. end. It's a great commercial. That's funny. But, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of toys out there that – make us think differently. But I thought this was really cool. And this is something that, you know, I, I never think about the arc, you know, that arc that you're <laughs> like, Oh, if I aim it up here, it'll drop and maybe hit Johnny right in the face when he pokes his head out. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we, we all know what became of this, you know, 25 years later, they had 175 versions of this bad boy. It got, it's been bought up and all that stuff. And I'm sure Lonnie made a pretty, pretty uh fat stack of cash off this bad boy but if it wasn't for one man having a blast in his bathroom with a water pump (laughs) (laughs) we wouldn't have had we wouldn't have had super soakers did you guys have super soakers growing up uh i yes yes they're mandatory you can't go to a gunfight with that little plastic thing that's out of water within half a second you know what was weird was playing super soakers in a pool you ever do that yeah. It was so weird because it's like the fear of getting sprayed is completely gone, and yet you don't really behave any differently. <laughs> right. Right. <sighs> what? You ready to go? Is it my turn? If you want to go. Yeah, I think I'm going to go. All right. Let's hear it. Yeah, and as typical for me, I really had a lot of trouble narrowing down what I wanted to talk about because there are so many... <laughs> interesting inventions and accidental discoveries out there we could probably do like 10 episodes on these things i think i accidentally read one of yours while i was researching mine and it was hysterical (laughs) well today i am going to be talking about another amazing invention i know that james says that antibiotics were amazing he's right but so was anesthesia i don't know there's some kind of charm and nostalgia of strapping a man to a table while you operate on him. Yeah, well, they used to do that. (laughs) (laughs) 
And then I'm also going to talk about the microwave. But let's start with anesthesia first. Praise God that this stuff exists. <laughs> We've come a long way when it comes to pain management because this stuff was only discovered around 177 years ago, way back in 1844. So despite its need in many areas of medicine, it was actually first utilized in James's favorite area of medicine, dentistry. Right, James? Yep. Oh, boy. James <laughs> loves going to the dentist, y'all. Mm. God, I'm actually anyway. anxious just from that joke. <laughs> <laughs> but as with many medical discoveries, there's actually quite a bit of like, I discovered anesthesia. No, I discovered anesthesia between different scientists. So it's kind of, there are multiple dentists who claim that they discovered it. But first, I'm going to talk about a man named Horace Wells. He was a dentist. He began studying and practicing at age 19, which can you imagine having a 19-year-old like fiddling around in your mouth and like doing surgery on you? He was studying. I'm sure he wasn't actually doing it, but still, I don't know. It just makes me anxious. But uh, a common event way back in the day was, it's kind of like a little party. They had these kind of exhibits back in the 1830s and 40s. So 1830s and 40s? 1830s So this 19-year-old, he probably looked like a 40-year-old man. He may have. Probably had a little mustache and a little bowler hat. Nowadays, we look like we're 19 to we're like 30. <laughs> <laughs> but back in the 1830s and 40s, they had nitrous oxide shows. Because yeah. nitrous oxide makes people act a little loopy. And same with ether. Sometimes that was used. But volunteers at these exhibits would inhale the gas, then do silly things. People loved it. So old Horace goes to one of these shows in 1844, and in the middle of the show, one of the volunteers cuts himself on a bench. And wouldn't you know it? Dude had no idea that he was bleeding all over the place. (laughs) Yeah, wasn't even aware. So Horace asks him afterwards, he's like, hey, dude, did you know you cut your leg open? And then the guy was just like, what? No, I didn't. And Wells was like, he thought to himself, maybe I can apply this to my dentistry practice and see if it's going to, you know, make things a little less painful for people. James was like, yes, please. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So he did what any true man of science making amazing discoveries did way back in the day. Very next day, he got one of his good pals and he said, hey. Rip my wisdom teeth from my mouth. Oh my Oof. gosh. Yeah. And so oh, they hooked they hooked Wells up to nitrous oxide and his friend pulled his wisdom teeth and lo and behold, Wells said he did not feel any pain or remember anything that happened during the procedure. So he was just like, huzzah. He's mm, a good man. That man's a saint. Yeah. Well, Wells, he needed to obviously get a little more practice with anesthesia. So he continued to test it out on some of his patients while pulling teeth. And he showed some other physicians how to use it within medical practice is a big hit. Obviously everybody was like, I got to go to Horace Wells to get my teeth done. It is a blast. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So one of the guys he showed it to was a guy named William T.G. Morton. It was actually one of his students. And this is where the whole, I discovered it. No, I discovered it started because Morton, he, instead of using nitrous oxide, he decided to use ether. He claimed that it was he who invented the anesthesia. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about him in a minute. But in 1845, they decided to show off their discovery with a demonstration in Boston. Unfortunately, in the middle of this demonstration, the subject who was getting his tooth pulled on the nitrous oxide cried out. And everyone was like, oh, he's in pain. I'm not impressed. Good. 
goodbye. And so everyone kind of considered that lecture a huge failure. And then afterwards, apparently when Wells asked the subject how he's feeling, like, you know, did it hurt? The guy was like, no, I didn't feel anything. So it's probably just like, you know, on Microsoft. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So anyways, Wells was completely unaffected by this failure and he decided to continue using nitrous oxide during his work. People would tell him, they'd say, Wells, you've got to patent this stuff. It's amazing. And his response was supposedly, no, let it be as free as the air we breathe. Because he knew what a big difference it was going to make within the medical practice. AKA, let someone else patent it. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, let's, let's return to William T.G. Morton real quick, okay? <laughs> Kind of, he kind of fine-tuned the use of ether anesthesia around the same time. And he actually was, like, without him, this, this would have still kind of been a problem. He hosted his own demonstration of his anesthesia, which he called Lethion, which sounds horrifying to me. It sounds like it would be lethal, but he actually named it after the, the Leith River from Greek mythology. It, was, it supposedly erased painful memories from oh. Greek mythology. So that's where he named it from. Anyways, <laughs> during Morton's <laughs> demonstration, he had a surgeon remove a tumor from this man's neck. Went off without a hitch. The subject got through the entire thing pain-free and everyone was in awe. But unlike Wells, Morton did try to patent Lethion, which a lot of people thought was in poor taste because, you know, it could really benefit all of mankind. Mm-hmm. But, you know, according to an article I found on Morton published by PBS.org, it claims that Wells was more like, hey, I deserve credit for discovering anesthesia too. In the article I read on Wells, it was by ctexplored.org, took more of a favorable view on Wells. So each of these two articles I read were basically kind of like, this guy discovered it. No, this guy discovered it. So people Mm. are still taking sides, you guys. But per my research, it was actually Morton who developed the first safe way of administering anesthesia to people because he created this little like, inhalation chamber and it was made with a glass flask and a wooden mouthpiece that would be opened or closed depending upon the patient's state of consciousness and apparently wells accidentally overdosed a few of his patients on nitrous oxide because he had no way of controlling the flow like it was just kind of like here you go and (laughs) i looked it up i was like can overdosing on nitrous oxide cause problems? It can. Yeah. If you take too much of it, it can cause brain damage. It you reminds guys. me of uh, Little Shop of Horrors, um, like the the musical with Steve Martin. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've never seen it. I've never seen it. You can grumble all you want, James, but I'm going I'm to keep talking. Oh. Anyways, Morton, since he did try to milk his discovery for all he could get out of it, and by the way, there's no, I don't, I did not read that Wells actually, actually overdosed to the point of brain damage with this. <laughs> so I, yeah. I would just want to put that out there. They just came out drooling a little bit more than they used to. Yeah. <laughs> but Morton, since he did try to milk his discovery for all that he could get out of it with like a patent, his reputation was damaged beyond repair in the end because everyone was like, Dang. your ego's too big. And he ended up dying broke in oh. 1868. Mm. Yeah. Wells, meanwhile, also died under very sad circumstances. Mm. Yeah, he got really depressed and ended up taking his own life in 1848, after which the Parisian Medical Society basically declared him as the discoverer of anesthesia. Was it him? Was it Morton? I don't know. But all, all that really matters is that we have anesthesia, and thank goodness for both of them, because I cannot imagine having gotten my wisdom teeth pulled without it. 
Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Back in the day, they used to take a club to you. Yeah. Well, just hope you don't wake up in the middle of it. Prior to modern anesthesia, the only things that they really used were like opium and alcohol. And in ancient Greece, they used willow bark. Like, praise the Lord for modern medicine because You're I don't think chewing that, on a tree while yeah. they rip your teeth off. Well, well, that's where the expression thinking. bite the bullet comes from is before, you know, anything like that, you just had to get operated on pain, painfully. So you would literally sometimes bite on a bullet. Mm, I'm glad I don't have to do that anymore. I just, I can't imagine having gone through a C-section mm. <laughs> without it. Well, this is morbid, but C-sections pretty much had a... Like ninety nine percent mortality rate for the mother until modern surgery, which again antibiotics and uh, uh, anesthesia. Exactly. Well, that's what I was going to say. If anesthesia, you know, if you do have to go under anesthesia, chances are you're having to go underneath a knife in most cases, and you want those antibiotics. Yeah. <laughs> so, James, I actually do think that your discovery was more important than mine. Yeah. They're both important. Let's just be thankful this Thanksgiving for accidents. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, enough about anesthesia. Let's talk about microwave ovens. Alex's favorite thing in Mm. the world. Mm. Alex, you love that microwave in our kitchen, don't you? I do. I do. Most people got them. I always forget that they exist. If I could put a ring on it, I would have. Yeah, he would have. <laughs> I had a set over for you. Well, I I never really used a microwave growing up. We always heated everything up in the stove. No. And I have like I have PTSD from the microwave at the news station that I used to work at because people would like put their food in there, it would explode, and they would never clean it up. So, yeah. so you just decided to, you just decided to continue that tradition and make me clean it. Excuse me, <laughs> excuse me. I don't use it. You use it. I'm so spoiled to those steamable bags for vegetables. Like, I'm really, I'm genuinely worried there's going to be some news story that comes out where they're like, steamable bags, they destroy testosterone and cause cancer. I'll be like, oh, snap. Because, like, I love those steamable bags, man. They're so convenient. See, Mm -hmm. we don't really steam anything. We we usually. It's great um, because, like, if you want vegetables, you just put the steamable bag in the microwave and then seven minutes later you got vegetables. No, we used to do that for broccoli quite a bit. Yeah. Then Gwen. Gwen prefers crispy broccoli, so now we <sighs> roast everything. Yeah, now she wants, uh, yeah, now she's high maintenance. She's very high maintenance. But, but yeah, you know what? she, she, she says it. she never uses a microwave. I just want to, you know, if this was a court hearing, you would be losing because <laughs> you literally heated up baked spaghetti today in the microwave. Yeah, I know. And that's because. Thank I, you, Your Honor. Listen, that is all I have to say. Listen, I would have made you prepare the food today, but you were out walking and looking for Pokemon. Oh, I'm sorry. Water. I was giving her a child <laughs> exercise. I know. I know. That's why I did it. Got to feed her. Oh, my, oh my God. God. Anyway. I didn't even know Pokemon Go was still a thing. Oh, she had so it much fun. It was Cece's idea. She was like, hey, like, Gwenny didn't want did, to. Gwen didn't really want to like, pay attention and walk. She was like, why don't you get Pokemon Go going? I was like, okay. And it worked. She wow. walked very diligently she, after yeah, we that. Hunted. We, were poke, <laughs> we were two professional Pokemon trainers. Fascinating. They, they caught a Pikachu. But anyways, you guys, the microwave. Let's get back to topic here. The microwave was created in 1947 by a Raytheon engineer named Percy Spencer. And he was not trying to invent a microwave at all. Kind of like... Um, kind of like the people. slinky guy <laughs> and the super soaker. Yeah, his job was to test magnetrons, and I'm not going to go into what a magnetron it's is. Transformer. No, I did. <laughs> I did a lot of research on this. It's very complicated, but 
Spencer was trying to use them within a military defense setting. He worked at Raytheon specifically to improve the power level of magnetron tubes to be used in radar sets. That's per popularmechanics.com, which was where I got this info. But in case you've never heard of Raytheon, they manufacture missiles, electronic warfare devices, etc. And Spencer, despite coming from a very humble background, he was very poor growing up. He had very little education, but he was filled with curiosity. And by 1920s, he was one of Raytheon's best engineers. Mm. So in 1946, Spencer's just at work. You know, he's minding his own business. And he's standing next to some of his magnetrons, I guess. And his belly starts to grumble. He's thinking, oh, man, lunch cannot come quick enough. So he reaches into his pocket where he's got this little peanut cluster bar. Which is a great surprise, you guys. His peanut cluster bar was an ooey, gooey, melted mess. And a, it's called body heat, my No, friend. no. A big misconception about the story is that some people say he had a chocolate bar in his pocket and that's what melted. But per Spencer's grandson, Rod Spencer, it was actually a peanut cluster bar, which has a much higher melting point than mm, chocolate, by the okay. way. But uh, Spencer, he would go on his lunch breaks. He liked to go outside and crumble up the little peanut cluster bar and feed it to squirrels and chipmunks. Oh. How wholesome is that? So... Anyways, Spencer, he was amazed by this little melted squirrel snack. So he decided to test out an egg underneath the magnetron next, put an egg underneath it, and it ended up exploding. Got egg all over his face. And he was just like, wow, this is awesome. <laughs> and then lastly, he decided to experiment with what is my least favorite thing to be burned in a microwave, and that is popcorn kernels. Mm. Oh, gosh. That's another thing from the newsroom. People would bring popcorn in and put it in the microwave and forget about it. And then the entire newsroom would have just smelled like burnt popcorn for weeks. But anyway. Who eats popcorn at work? Oh, people eat popcorn at work. That's what I was work. just thinking, James. We had yeah. a little vending machine that had food. And you could get like a little bowl of ramen to make in the microwave. Or I get ramen, but popcorn just seems nuts. Yeah. I love popcorn, but it's like it's a it's a reclining on your lectus kind of food you know it's not (laughs) i think james looked it up to find out what it was it's a Mm. reclining in your news chair and watching the news uh news television show unfold that you've just written oh a lot of people did it but anyways not surprisingly the popcorn turtles kernels turtles or turtles (laughs) the popcorn kernels turned into popcorn and then boom the microwave was born And a year later, the first iteration of the modern microwave hit the market. It was a doozy, you guys. It was called the Radar Range, and it weighed 750 pounds. (laughs) And it cost an arm and a leg. It cost $2,000. So, obviously, not many people bought them, but the technology got better over time. Thanks, yuppies. That's that's why. (laughs) A bunch of yuppies were like, check this out. Yeah, look at what I could do to an egg. (laughs) (laughs) But it really became a household hit about 20 years later. So it took some time in 1967. So you guys, we need to thank Spencer. We also need to thank squirrels and chipmunks because if he did not like feeding them and keeping a little food in his pocket, I wonder how long it would have taken for somebody to realize, hey, we can cook food a lot quicker in something called a microwave. Mm. Thank you, squirrels. It's also yeah, just you, adorable that that's like what he liked to do. Yes. Yeah. Per his grandson, that's that's what happened. So, you guys, that's anesthesia and microwaves. Wow. Yeah. Lots of happy accidents. Never, never <laughs> confuse the two. 
yeah, don't don't confuse those two. Um, so you guys, I think that that's it for this episode. This was a fun one. Yeah. Again, we could do like ten different episodes on just interesting discoveries. Yeah, for sure. But you guys, we hope that you liked it as much as we had fun researching it. Hmm. Hope it was a blast. Yeah, <laughs> super soaker blast. <laughs> There, there you go. Alex has gotten his little joke in. I hope we could. That was a bad joke. Delete that. Do, do, you guys, <laughs> do you guys have anything else you want to add? Just that our music is by Grant Cook. You can find it on Amazon Music, iTunes, anywhere you listen to music. I forgot the rest of Spotify. Uh, James, <laughs> do you want to plug the uh, your inventors group at all? Yeah, uh, kyinventors.org and Empowered Inventing on YouTube. Yes, you guys. Check it out. It's really cool. James knows a lot about inventions, so... Anyways, you guys, thank you for tuning in. We hope you'll tune in again next week when we're actually going to be talking about Havana Syndrome. What? And we're not we're not drawing from the vase today because this was actually one of our Patreon exclusives. I was wondering, I was like, I don't hear the rustle, rustle of paper. And also I didn't hear what you said, the what? No, one of our dear Patreon subscribers submitted Havana Syndrome into the vase. It was Kate... So, Kate, thank you so much for submitting that. Next week, it is going to be our Patreon episode of the month. So, stay tuned. We're going to be talking about the mysterious, mysterious illness that lots of people are like, what is this? I genuinely so, thought you said Van Morrison's drums. I was like, what happened? What? <laughs> oh, James, I hope I didn't say Van Morrison's drums. If I did, you guys need to take me to the doctor. <laughs> but you guys, I think that's it. I think that until next week, we hope that you can... Keep it straight.